myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, my guest is Michelle Neat. Michelle is an athletic trainer who now lives in New York. She lived here in Dallas for a short time. She did some comedy. We became friends over our love for Houston sports, since we both have Houston roots. We had a great conversation, so let's get into our conversation about life in New York, physical fitness, and the tragic loss of her brother, which is the trigger of one of her biggest fears, watching a loved one struggle with grief and feel helpless. It's a very powerful episode. There was some, a lot of emotion, but I felt like it was a really good conversation. So let's get into it with my friend, Michelle Neat. We're here with my friend and soon-to-be sports athletic trainer, Michelle Neat. Also, Michelle Neat is one of the, I guess, MLB fan ambassadors, I believe is what they're called. So... Just to briefly talk about them, the fans, so Steve, a man named Steven Leonardi, he is uh, based out, out, up in Pennsylvania. Uh, he started the Fan Association probably three months ago, and um, I was listening to a Locked On Astros podcast, it was a baseball podcast, and mm-hmm. I reached out to him via Twitter, and I said, I think what you're doing is fantastic, because he created it with the intention of giving the fans a voice. So creating a governing body like when i say giving the fans a voice like creating a governing body who mm-hmm. could act like tell the ml like figure out a way to do like make the game an affordable experience because the mm-hmm. mlb is pricing fans out of they're pricing people out of fandom yeah. like a family of four it costs over 200 dollars with like drinks or refreshments and parking and tickets it's about it'll cost you about 200 dollars or a little bit more mm-hmm. Because everything about like everything about being a fan, almost everything about being a fan is expensive. You don't have to tell me that with how much apparel and things I have. That that <laughs> I yeah. pain. even I get I usually go in clearance. Like I will usually when I go visit my dad in Houston. Full disclosure: I'm an Astros fan, and when I go visit my dad in Houston, there's an academy on the way to his house. Like if I go down, it's off of 290 and it's right there. I will cut into that a- academy and I'll go see what's on clearance. So, cause I don't want this. I don't want to rule the conversation, make it like centered on baseball. So we can too late subject change. You, so you move, you used to live here in Dallas and you moved to New York. So what did you originally, did you originally move to New York for physical training? Is that something you were just starting to get into down here? Or did you kind of discover that living in New York and needing something else to do? Well, so glad you asked that question. There's a lengthy answer. Yes and no. But um, so I really, because a lot of what I was doing in Texas before I moved out to New York was 
uh, I did a lot of modeling, a lot mm-hmm. of print, uh, some runway work, uh, some acting work, and a lot of like being employable or just like being a, a desirable like uh, candidate for jobs, meaning you have to take care of yourself. So I really, uh, pretty much my whole life, somewhat of a healthy-ish lifestyle was encouraged, but it really got like intense and focused right around 2014. I moved up to New York because I was, um, I had been seeing someone, they had lived in New York. Uh, we met in 2011, uh, but they were living in New York. So he and I were seriously involved to the point where we did, uh, you know, we were going to get married. It did not pan out. Uh, about a week after uh, I moved, he decided, he was like, hey, so, you know, my ex-girlfriend still in love with her. I don't know that this is going to work out. I was like, so yeah, it was 2016 was arguably one of the most, like not the most emotionally painful year, but one of the most. Um, so it really gave me a chance to focus on get, getting really into, uh, mm-hmm. you know, physical fitness, getting myself into the best shape of my life. And um, people kept asking me like, Oh, what are you doing? What are your workouts? And I was like, Oh yeah, you can. And like, I discovered that you can make money off of this. And I, a lot of the research, um, so it really, everything really mm-hmm. started, originated in 2016 from that one event, from that move to New York. Mm-hmm. And it's just really, I mean, living in a city where you don't know a lot of people, it gives you so much time to work on yourself. So, Absolutely. And, and you had such motivation because, you know, the reason you moved up there was just, I guess, ripped from you. So really, you had to do something to not just sit there and think about it. If you didn't, you'd, all you'd have to do was sit in your apartment and maybe go to work, maybe not. Maybe hate yourself a lot, a lot of self-loathing. Yeah, well, the, that's the worst thing when you feel down or a, a, for some reason anything as far as an, any, any kind of inadequacies to be stuck. Like, this has been hell for me. Literally, with no comedy, no no routine, I've been in this apartment so much. And when you're just alone with your thoughts, it's like, that's the worst thing you can put me with. Mm-hmm. boy howdy do i know it and so you know this used to be just where i wouldn't think about any of that stuff this would be where maybe i wrote some jokes but mostly it was me winding down you know eating some food and going to bed i spent very i've spent very little time in this apartment even though i've lived at this same apartment for 10 years and so i totally get that that you've you know what can i do to develop a new routine that can keep me from thinking about my old one right and in addition to getting heavily involved in fitness there's a film school up here it was like it's a small like vocational film school that um i got a little bit of like i got some i got scholarship money to attend and it was like a one-year program and that's not even my education was already in progress and so this film school was like one year hiatus had zero to do with the long-term goal but it ended up being super useful so that was another super like constructive thing i did with my time Mm-hmm. basically you reach a point where something traumatic happens and you make like you either let it drive you insane and eat you up or you're like something's got to change either i go mad or i fix i, ch- I change something i do something mm-hmm. different and that's really that was a point that i reached and i've reached that point a few more times along the way is it like sex in the city in new york no it is far more low budget than that the tv show like the tv show like sex in the city and the tv show girls 
highly unrealistic. I want to create like a different show where it really depicts what it's like dating because it's there's not as much money involved. Guys do not take you out to like expensive dinners and stuff. A lot of the times they'll just try to be like, hey, especially now with everything shut down, why don't we just keep it low key and go back to my place? There's none of that. It's, it's a lot of lazy man- mm-hmm. like maneuvers. There's no, there's just not unrealistic financial picture painted by Hollywood. Well, New York is an unrealistic financial picture for most people. Like people, people move there and have no idea how much it costs to live until you're in it. And that's, that's one thing when I was younger than you, when I was your, like in my early twenties, me and my best friend were like, yeah, we're going to move to New York. You know, we're going to live life. We're going to party in New York. And I'm in my twenties. I'm an engineer at the phone company. So I'm Okay. And so I start, I go on this job site, you know, I'm looking at jobs in New York, like, okay, what would I theoretically be able to do? And on monster.com, bless their hearts, they had a a city calculator for how much money you'd need to, what kind of income you would need to have in one city to live in the other. So I would put from Dallas-Fort Worth, my salary is this, how much would I need to make to do that in New York? And it was like... You make thirty eight thousand. You will need to make sixty four thousand in New York City to to have the same lifestyle that you enjoy here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And I was like, well, that's probably not going to be something I can easily just attain. It was it was an eye opening thing, and I'm like, oh. And then I started looking at San Francisco and things like that, and how much it costs to live in other areas. And it's like, well, you are do you know people? You can see why people move to Dallas Fort Worth or to Texas in general. I mean. I don't make 64000 I make below that. But I mean, I pay, a, I live in a studio apartment mm-hmm. and I live alone, which is almost as you get older, you see more like you run into more people that do not have roommates in New York. But in New York, it is people almost always have roommates. I pay $1,150 for a studio apartment. And it's not even in Manhattan. It's in Brooklyn. It's in Crown Heights. Crown Heights is kind of dangerous. Not as much as it used to be. It is um, gentrification has definitely done like put in work mm-hmm. in the area. But I mean, the apartment I lived in before this was in a very dicey area. So they have this. It's uh, the West Indian Day Parade always occurs around Labor Day and it's called Juve. Mm-hmm. And some of the West Indian nations don't quite see eye to eye. So there's a lot of violence. And without fail, there are two or three murders a year at minimum related to incidents uh, related to Juve. So the first year I was in the, my old apartment was a, a double homicide. The next year, as I was getting ready to move into my, the apartment I'm in now was a triple homicide, not trying to brag, but <laughs> I've been around a lot of murder. Well, I'm glad that it wasn't anything affiliated too much with you. Like you were just a bystander or passerby. Yeah. Yeah, that could that could maybe change in people's minds. And I don't know what comedy is like up there at this point either. I stopped doing it for a lot of reasons. Like it's it's really, really hard because I try uh, the first time I got on stage, I did it like I went up two or three times, maybe four times at an open mic in New York before moving back to Texas. And then I really did comedy. I really gave comedy a go in Texas. I stopped when like I like I attempted to, and I did for like the first year I was here sort of mm-hmm. did comedy, but I mean, priority shifted. It's a complete blood bloodbath. Like it's, there's, 
it's so concentrated. So many people are trying to do it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, which is great because there are more opportunities for stage time, but it's also extremely, it's a, it's a, it's a huge market. It's hard to stand out in a lineup of 3000. It's hard enough to stand out in a lineup of 300, let alone like 3000. And you know, like then there's the buddy system of, you know, this guy, you know, this guy works with so-and-so. And so he gets a little bit of a nod versus maybe someone who's slightly, maybe slightly better. But because he doesn't have those affiliations, may not get the same kind of nod that the one that does. And I, and I don't hate that. I mean, that's part of the game. It's part of the game. It's, you know, a lot of it is timing. You've got to be in front of the right people at the right time doing the right things. And good on those people for doing that comedy is not fair it's not the guy that's been doing it the longest the right way that gets the most success it does take a toll on your mental health and i to give myself a fair chance at being in a creating like a healthy headspace mm-hmm. and trying to make progress and because i mean i was tur- like i was 26 at the time and i wanted to make serious progress towards that i got that like existential dread about turning 30 so i knew that i had basically it came down to this is like the most vain and simple way i explain it to people i just enjoy having a six pack more than i do going up on stage each night Mm -hmm. like that's i have my priorities are shifted yes completely different and especially with like everything that's happened so far even with this year Mm -hmm. uh comedy is the last like doing comedy i enjoy consuming it and i really like appreciate want to support my friends who do it but i just for me it's probably not it in the long run that's not what i was meant to do fair enough and it's i i'd never encourage anybody to not do it or to if they are doing it to you know stop doing it i'm always like you know you'll figure out what you need doing it i was like it'll life will dictate what your intentions are at some point either one something else comes up in life or you meet somebody and they take more of your time. Just life, I always say life comes first. At some point, comedy will always be there if you want to do it and want to come back to it. There's always an open mic somewhere. But you can't be like, you know, this girl may be the love of my life, but, you know, I can't see her in this open mic. Right, and it's about, like, lifestyle. Like, I really had to... I. I just chose to invest time in my physical and mental health. Like I moved like shortly after moving to New York, I started going to a therapist regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, cause I, I see a therapist once a week and I have no problem admitting cause like I'm very open about like what I deal with anxiety and depression. I take Wellbutrin. So mm-hmm. it's an S it's a low level uh, SSRI. It's selective serotonin, something, something. Uh, listen, I struggle with ADHD. I also, I'm prescribed prescribe Adderall for that. I don't take Adderall as frequently as I prescribed it because that's Adderall is very intense. Okay. But that I made those a priority. So I prioritized that and putting, you know, making serious progress towards the overall goal, which was to mm-hmm. work in the MLB because it marries like uh, all of my favorite things, which are uh, um, helping others and, you know, physical, personal training. So physical fitness, nutrition, baseball, mm-hmm. kind of like, binded all those together and that like I made the decision when I was younger I I said I want to play baseball I want to be a baseball coach and so I guess it hasn't really changed since I was younger but I mean that's serious it's not for me it's not a matter of will it happen it's a matter of when it will happen okay well I I applaud you for for going at it and to and for keeping you know sustaining your 
I guess, focus on doing that and not letting anything else distract you from the goal instead of like a relationship or something like thing that may try to steer you away that you say that even if you did meet somebody, let's say, and was gravitating towards a more serious side, I feel like at this point in your life, you're like, look, I'm going for this kind of career. Either you're going to be we're going to be aligned in this or we're going to have to. It's not, you know, I'll enjoy your company, but I don't know how far this can go. And I think that that's, I like to be very direct a lot of the time because I feel like it's a very efficient way of operating. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I understand everyone's comfort level and style of communication varies from in, uh, individual to individual. So with some guys, it's made it uncomfortable because I'm very, towards the beginning within like the first couple months, I let them know that I'm not going to invest time in something that like, if you don't see yourself, if it's not like a similar energy or similar, I'm not saying necessarily mm-hmm. baseball, but if your mindset isn't towards similar to what I'm trying to do, I just, like, I don't think it's going to work out in the long run. So I, I just, yeah. I try to be as fair as possible. And I try to cut like that person loose if it's not. And if I do see potential, then I try to invest more time because it's about, it's um, like in therapy, they talk about a cost benefit analysis. Mm-hmm. What is this costing you? What is this benefiting you? Yes. And if it's a terribly, uh, like a terribly imbalanced, like equation that's not going to like benefit you in the long run or serve you in the long run. Yeah. But I was like, either way too, is if he's doing sacrificing everything and you're benefiting everything, eventually that's going to, it's going to crash too, because he's going to resent and it'll come from his side rather than, you know, the cost on your side of making sacrifices. You'll, you'll bear the brunt of him making all these sacrifices for you. And, uh, and so I, I get what you're saying with the equation. It doesn't just mean your side has to benefit. It has to be a mutual benefit. If it's all cost on his side, we're in the same boat, just on the opposite end of it. There's not, he, he's a very controversial figure for good reason. Um, I don't agree with everything this person says, but regardless of where you stand on him, like personally, Jordan B. Peterson is a very smart person. His Some of his views are very, I don't agree with them, but he talks about, uh, he talked about this very thing because before I, most of the time, if it's somebody like that, I try to give them a chance or read up on them. And so I read one of his books and he said something that stood out that in an, an imbalanced relationship like that, it would it will breed resentment and it creates this very healthy, unhealthy dynamic. And um, it's just ultimately not going to. So you have to recognize like you have to really be honest with yourself the, one of the first things he talks about in like his book, 12 Rules for Life, is stand up straight with your shoulders back, which he is signifying that like, you have to take personal responsibility uh, for yourself, the direction of your life. And he, quanti- like, he quantifies that idea in very simple ways, like, uh, you know, clean your room. I mean, if you can't manage your own household, how is somebody supposed to entrust you with larger things beyond your own room, beyond your own, like, home front so i think you're exactly right when you say uh if one if it's always give 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 and never if there's not a balance i mean you can try to make it work in the long run and maybe mm-hmm. that the couple stays together but it's not going to be healthy and i think that my biggest goal right now is to create to number one be as healthy as possible because the better relationship you have with yourself the easier it is to facilitate a connection with somebody else that's viable in the long run so my podcast is about fears and like some fears are like phobias where it's 
a constant, you know, like, how do you manage this phobia? Like, if you're put in a situation, then there are people that have, like, worries and existential dread, like, these overarching fears that don't, that don't hit you every day, but are in the back of your mind that every once in a while where you're just laying there in bed about to go to sleep, hey, what if this happened? And then you just sit there and you're up, you know, for an hour just trying to not think about it and that's where your fear kind of comes in so what is your fear michelle neat well first of all there's a little noise that you keep hearing in the background and it's i've got one of those automatic glade air freshener things that like you know Mm -hmm. does this spritz thing every however many minutes so that's what that is my apartment smells fantastic though so i regret nothing okay um but one of my biggest fears one of my best and you and I discussed this previously. And I mean, it's for those who have known me, I know what has transpired recently. One of my biggest fears came true this year mm-hmm. where um, I lost my younger brother. And one of my biggest fears is that happening and me being there and um, me having to witness how much pain it would cause my mom. Like mm-hmm. that happened. So he was living in Chicago at the time and he was with his best friends mm-hmm. when like, when he passed, so I try. I'm trying to kind of really find the like gather the positive shreds of the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, he was surrounded by his best friends. It's there's some positive things that have transpired out of it, but I have had to take on a a lot of responsibility concerning this. Uh, so I had to go up to Chicago. I flew up to Chicago. I met my mom, and uh, when you know you have to transport human remains across state lines there's certain like processes you have to go through so you have to designate a funeral home in this in the home state because they have to set up uh they have to be the person to receive the body at the airport from the airline Mm -hmm. and um they have to arrange for the body to be prepared to be like shipped from a location out of state that they pre-arrange so the my biggest fear was um and the, and it came true i think it was like may 23rd or 24th it happened mm-hmm. we had to i went with my mom to the mortuary and um and i'm super sorry if i get a little emotional it is very fresh you have nothing to apologize for the loss of a loved one's never something that you should be able to that you should hold back any emotion on all right yeah <laughs> Because seriously, that's something that you have to get out at some point. You can't hold that stuff in. Yeah, I mean, so May 23rd, I had to go with my mom to the mortuary. And she was a mess. Um, She was super happy that I was there. I mean, because like my sister is pregnant. And so she hasn't been able to do anything. And my youngest brother, Jacob, he just got married. He's out of college. He's There's not a lot that he can. Yes, he is supportive of and he loves my mom. And he will do what he can for the family. But I was the person mo- and most primed to be the most useful in this situation. So mm-hmm. I went with her and, you know, they wait. And um, a few days like earlier, we had dropped off clothes. And um, so they have they set the body in a room. So this is how it happened. And they open up the doors and my mom kind of just like let out the scream and her knees buckled. Yeah. And we walked into the room. And I know that this is going to be shitty, but nothing. And you can know the thing is you can know something like this is coming, but nothing can prepare you for the feeling of when it actually happens. And um, my biggest fear was 
having him because my brother had in the past some struggles with drugs and um what he passed away from was unrelated by the way it was a myocardial infraction which is the same thing Regis Philbin died from which is a fancy way of saying a heart attack um but it wasn't caused by drugs so that's a small victory anyway I knew I knew he was in rehab I know you had said something like he was getting better and yeah he had I thought you said he had moved to Chicago when he did move or something like that, that he was kind of getting away from that. I mean, he had been away from it. So he pretty much like anything that he seriously like hard drug wise, like his last, like the last year that he probably struggled with that was 2000, like when he Mm -hmm. like got out of prison, which is at the beginning of 2015. So for five years, like five years removed from all of the drama, he was doing super great for himself. But, uh, so back to the day in question before I, you know, completely go off track. Um, so one of my biggest fears was seeing having seen my mom in or an immediate family member pass away and having to be there in the room and just being completely powerless. And that happened. Like she um, it's like she was like she there was a very like physical, visceral reaction mm-hmm. to seeing him there. And then uh, like she like laid across his body not like laid, like laid yeah. across the body. She washed over his body and like cupped his face. And, you know, how could this happen? Yeah. She was crying. And that's the most intense cry and most painful sound. It's, it's, um, it's something that I've struggled with and it has caused like, it's, I have nightmares about it still to the point where I had to go. Um, I have, I've had to go on short term leave from my job because it's affected my day. This like people can tell you what happens when you use, lose an immediate family member, especially a younger brother who I was, my family is pretty tight knit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really hard because um, we had all of these plans. We talked about opening up a restaurant together later on down the road. Um, the last time that I saw him, the last thing that we did as a family was we all dressed up and we went and saw the last star Wars movie. And I didn't, I, like, he and I, like, we left, we flew out the same day. So the last time I saw him, I gave him a hug and he was half asleep. And my mom at the beginning of quarantine asked me to fly down and I couldn't because there was stuff I had to take care of in the city for my job. Mm-hmm. Cause there was nobody else really in my, like at the company that could do what needed to be done. And so, um, I never got to see him before he passed. And I guess one of my biggest fears is um, maybe like I wasn't there for him enough or I failed him or something like I, there was a shortcoming of mine that led to his demise. And I know that's not true, but it's impossible to think about the what ifs or the shoulds in that situation. And it's, there's just a lot like seeing my mom in pain. Like she has, she's had a lot of health struggles. She's still recovering from COVID when this happened. So like her lungs were damaged. It was just really hard for her, hard for her. So to hear her say, you know, my son, how could this happen? And like cup his face and then like mm-hmm. scream because like he was so cold and then like turn to me and saying like, Please, I just want him to come back. I hope like, why, like, why won't he come back? And just the whole situation is so fucking awful. I don't care. Like to anybody that I know, I don't care if we're on good terms or not, or you hate me or you don't hate me. I don't wish this upon anybody. It's, it's a really hard feeling yeah. to deal with. Um, having this, it's just a waking nightmare for the past, what, almost mm-hmm. four months now, because um, you love somebody so much and so intensely and you don't expect it. You don't expect to bury your younger sibling and yeah. you certainly don't expect to have to see your parents go through the mm-hmm. pain of 
Oh, parents' worst nightmare is burying a child. Yes. I know that's hard. Yeah. You also need to give yourself credit for the fact that you, you were that rock for your mom. And so I know there's a what if factor. Yeah. But there's also is a there was factor, which was you were there. You you did drop everything and you were there a shoulder for your mom to cry on so, someone that, that could be there. And I know, I don't know how much it hurts, but I know how that what if feeling. Because when I was, re- when I lost my grandfather, I was literally two months from being able to go into the ICU and see him. So I was too young to be admitted. And so I could only write him letters when he was coherent. So I, I only got to see the slow digression of where he went. And so there's always the what ifs. There was a resentment to the, towards the hospital that I had for a while for for not bending the rules for somebody. It was 15 years and a month away from their 16th birthday. It was like in December, November, December, and my birthday was in January 3rd. And so there's a little bit of resentment saying, you know, like, why couldn't you just bend the rules just this one time? You, at some points, there's always going to be those what ifs. But I don't think there was a there's anything that you should really be upset, like, ashamed for, I would say, as far as I feel like you did the best you could. There's nothing there's never a time where I feel like he called you and either one you pressed decline the call or, you know, he constantly reached out and you just didn't. You're super tight knit. I don't. Are you the oldest? No, I am. So there's four of us. So mm-hmm. Andrea, who is the oldest. And then there is me, mm-hmm. who's the second oldest. And there was Noah and there was Jacob. So, I mean, Noah, Noah and I had a pretty close bond because we are like the middle children. Both mm-hmm. of our other siblings were in serious relationships. Like my sister married three kids with a fourth on the way. So we were kind of like the the free spirit. Like we had just like all of these plans. Mm -hmm. And I've jokingly, I've said, you really screwed me, buddy, because now the pressure is on. Everyone's like, well, Michelle, you're the only one not married or seriously involved. Where are, what's your plan? When are you going to give me grandchildren? I'm like, listen, I'm working on it. Hmm. (laughs) But, and, and you're, you're really close. You've, you've, talked about your mom at length when I when I did know you a bunch of times so and I believe you're named after her if I'm not mistaken yes so my full name is Lisa Michelle Neat so Lisa is my mom's first name and Michelle was she's she's tell she told me the story she said you know Michelle was my favorite like girl's name and she was like I was obsessed with that name and it sounded really good with Lisa so we named you we named you Michelle so I am named after her. She and I are very close. We're even closer now. And we talk yeah. frequently. I try to talk to her daily, even mm-hmm. if it's because this is very, very hard for her. Absolutely. And so I may try to call her like, um, and it's not even for any specific reason. I try to call her at least once a day, just sometimes in the morning, just to say, mm-hmm. you know, good morning, mom. I hope you have a good day. Because I know that she knows that I am here for her, like, unwaveringly like Mm -hmm. support and I and people have pointed out well you always have a decision you know how to handle yourself in that situation but that thought has never crossed my mind because if this the situation yes I had a choice to not go up to Chicago yes I had a choice to not do 
a lot of things, but mm-hmm. there was a need. And if it's in a situation with somebody that I care about, or maybe not even somebody that I like mm-hmm. am very emotionally attached to, if there is a need and I'm put in that situation or put in a position to be that person to help, I am that person to help without question. I like, yeah. I don't, it's like you remove yourself, your personal feelings from the situation. Mm-hmm. And you only look at it in like a pragmatic sense. Like those are, like, there's a function that needs to be like served and yeah. serve that function. So I'll tell you a story. So my parents divorced when I was three. Somehow they had still a close enough relationship where they were able to be friends and be in the same room with each other. And when my dad's grandmother was the first one to pass, my gran- my mother on my grandmother's side, God rest her soul, lasted until 2015. And so in 2004, my, I've, my first experience really with death that I was... I would say old enough for and kind of aware to because my grandfather's passing. He didn't want a funeral. We basically almost felt like we overnighted his remains into the mausoleum. Like they just, they called us at at four in the morning on a Tuesday and I heard my grandmother wailing and that was, you know, the most part. And so one day I call and they're like, come on, it's, it's, it's happening. You need, you need to come down here. And I got pulled over and I got delayed and it didn't get there in time. By the time I got there, she was already gone. So I had had to process this. I'm grieving the whole way down at this point. I was just exhausted. And my dad looked to his husband and he said, I'm glad that Ryan wasn't here to see this because it's a it's really it's just a really rough thing to watch somebody pass. And it, I did feel slightly guilty because I couldn't get there in time to say goodbye. But I knew, I knew my intentions and I knew the realistics of driving from Dallas to Beaumont, Texas and getting there before that happened. Now here's, because, uh, because of my relationship with my mom and my dad, the way they were able to do that. So the day of the funeral... Everyone from our family, my dad's side of the family is going to the funeral. Unbeknownst to me or a couple others, my mom drives in while I'm being a pallbearer, having, living my, one of my worst nightmares of being a pallbearer at my grandmother's funeral because I don't know anything. They don't teach you anything about coffins. There's no fitness. There's nothing. Yeah. And so I come back from all of that and I come into the house and my mom has got all the food for everybody pretty much ready to go for all the people from the funeral. And so for her to do that, it was just, it was amazing. And it's something, you know, my dad never forgot. And so when my grandmother passed my mom's side, they made it a point to go visit my mom in Houston when they were putting my grandmother's remains on my mom's side next to my grandfather. It's one of those things where when my grandmother, my mom's side passed, I kind of did the same thing my mom did from my dad's side, which was my mom was everybody in my mom's side of family. It's a smaller family, but we're close knit. They're all trying to process this grief. So I stopped in, you know, got some, you know, got a rotisserie chicken, got food and everything. And I just, I just brought dinner and cried a little off and on. But for the most part, I was kind of just there and present just to let them know I'm here. 
if you need me. And I just was there to kind of provide relief that, yes, I'm here. There's still, there are still people here, you know, that you're not just, you're, you're not just losing, you know, let me show you what you gained. And I feel like that's what you kind of provided for your mom by, yes, was it an, I, it's, you know, never a good situation when a parent has to, to, to mourn the loss of their child, but to have another child there to kind of, you know, be that stabilizing force because I can't imagine, I couldn't imagine not being there. I couldn't, I couldn't put myself in, you can't either in that, in that situation. You couldn't imagine not going down to Chicago or to the funeral home with your mom to pick up to view your your brother to confirm i guess to make sure they got the right shipment which i think is just you know it's the most gut-wrenching and you dread it the whole way you you know deep down you're hoping maybe this is all a misunderstanding and and it's just it's just such a it's such a it's such a horrible reality it's i mean why because you know like you can recognize things logically like i recognize there's a logic like not to say that there's like a logical reason why, because it, it still mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. Like he had heart, pro- he had a heart condition. And he was born with that. I mean, he suffered pancreatitis, he had stomach problems. And there's probably a few other health problems mm-hmm. that he w- were aware of that he just, it wasn't something that he was letting on to. Like ultimately it were just, it was just some health things that he struggled with health wise that mm-hmm. led to his demise physically. So I understand that um, to build upon your earlier point about like being supportive the whole experience, you know, it changes the person mm-hmm. and how it changes the person is different for everyone. But um, for me, like, I know, like, how intense this all has felt and how appreciative I've been of, like, kindness from others. So I think that this experience has definitely made me more empathetic, more compassionate and make me just because I know how awful I feel and how awful this has felt and how, like, how it's really just negatively impacted my immediate family members and everyone around him, first of all. So it just made me kinder. But to go to speak upon that, like my brother was only in Chicago for like a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. But he was such like he was a fair he struggled with a lot personally, but he was a very good person. He was very kind, very charming, would go out of his way for everybody. Hell, the guy was there for a year and when um so we when we packed up his apartment um because i hadn't gotten to visit him before he passed i would packed up his apartment my mom was like i want to know i want to meet some of his friends i want to meet everyone he worked with so when we put on this little like irish style wake because and we're not irish but you know my brother was very about the irish culture we're irish adjacent we're welsh Mm -hmm. so um when the his house, like his apartment, there were so many people there. He was so widely loved. I found out like a few like really, I mean, it just made me really proud of the man he became. Mm-hmm. So because he struggled really badly with drugs earlier on. And so um, one of his best friends, and it was the because he passed away at his friend Dwayne's house. And he was also very good friends with Charlie. And there was a, a few people there that they all worked together and they were all good friends that Charlie was the one who got to him first. So his friend Charlie, when he first met Charlie, Charlie was coming out of a, a very difficult personal situation. And I don't really want to get into details because it's yeah. not really my stuff to spill, but um, he knew what it was like to struggle with things very intensely. And I'm not saying they struggled in the same nature, but he knew what it was like to struggle with things uh, very intensely. So he made a point to go out of his way. He like 
like pulled Charlie aside and basically gave him no choice. He's like, you're going to come over to my house on like Wednesday nights and we're going to cook. I'll cook you dinner. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to check in with you regularly and make sure like help you mm-hmm. kind of through this difficult patch. Cause I wish that I had had that when I was going through a similar situation, he was a very good man. Mm-hmm. And like, he was like, yeah, he would act kind of gruff or whatever. But for those who really knew him, he was a very, just biggest sweetheart, especially and when his like his friends back in Texas, mm-hmm. that was I mean he's just his reach was so far spread. Yeah. He was so like all encompassing. There mm-hmm. was so many. I mean we had to limit it, uh, limit the people at the actual funeral, but like the viewing, and it's usually a viewing has there's like an open ended time frame like from this time to this time, and it's usually like a, like five hours or whatever. But there were so many people. I mean, it's just so a lot of the positive things that came out. There's a, there's some positive things to come out of a horrible yeah. situation. So it gave me, it helped me find a new level of love and appreciation that I didn't. I mean, I loved and appreciated my brother. Yeah, I was gonna say you're you're. It's it's all it's kind of awe inspiring sometimes to see the 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 impact of a, a person's life. And just, yeah. and it, it really confirms what you believe too, because you, like you said, you, you knew your brother was a good person and you're seeing physical proof or walk in the door at a viewing over and over and over again, just people just piling in that, that your, that your brother had impacted in a positive way. It was, it was amazing. And like, like I had loved him. I was excited. So when like my parents told me, my mom told me, when I, when I was little, when I first found out, like I was going to have a brother, I was so excited when he was born, you know, I was in love. Like I just loved being around him. And there's Mm -hmm. this picture of, I like, I think it's my mom holding him, but it's a picture of somebody like holding my brother and my sister had like has a hold of his hand and I have this big smile on my face and I have a hold of his other hand. Well, like I had a very small hand, so it's more like I had a hold of his pinky. But I mean, so from the beginning, from the jump, Mm -hmm. there was just nothing but love. And it was so, it was kind of like a very weird full circle moment where I, um, like I was there when he was born and when everybody had left the graveside and there comes a point where you, like, there's a ceremony, like you, my dad uh, shoveled the dirt, uh, like scooped the dirt on his, like on his, in his grave. Um, I was there, you know, I shoveled, like I shoveled the dirt into his grave too. I mean, it was from beginning Mm -hmm. to end and still after it's such a complex thing to under really like internalize and understand Mm -hmm. that for the rest of your life, there's no, like this person is not physically present. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. A lot of this makes me question like, what is the afterlife? Is there an afterlife? What happens? I just, because I'm a very small individual in this like vast in the vast scheme of the universe, mm-hmm. I don't have the answers. I don't know. So there's a lot of questions. If there is an afterlife, I hope I do meet him and I get to be with yeah. him again. I'm sure you will. I do. I totally believe that you know that you you don't. This is not the end of everything. That there is a better place, and if there is a better place, he's obviously going to be there because he's such a good person. I know it's hard. Because especially it you're not you're just not losing somebody you'll never see again. It's somebody that you want to talk to. Everything something good happens. It's something you'll want to share with that person. 
And so, you know, sometimes you just have to, I guess, I don't know if there's a ritual you can come up with to kind of, you know, share that with him. I don't know if it's like talking to a photograph. So far, yeah, it's been the photograph. It's been um, for a while and I still have it. Um, now it's usually just like out loud or if I think of something or there's like a, cause he was very, he was obsessed with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I think it was kind of like a family thing where we all were pretty big fans. But like anytime I see something like that, I just kind of like look up or I like mention out loud, even if I'm by myself, which I've gotten some very interesting looks if that's the case. Um, I just say, you know, I say something to him for a while. It was um, the program from his uh, funeral. Mm-hmm. So uh, like I would talk because there's a picture of him on the front. And so I would just talk to him and I'll just tell him like it's really hard. Like sometimes I'll just wake up and um, I'll say, you know, buddy, it feels really hard today. I wish you were here Mm -hmm. or I'm going through this. I wish you were here. And I think about just like some of the sillier stuff like he and I were obsessed with the movie Biodome. And in the movie, they do that dance like they like they like him. It's like Polly Shore's character and Stephen Baldwin's character do this goofy dance called they call it the tribal where they just like dance around. And so that, that's something that we would do. And I just like there's stuff like that that I know I'll never get to do. I wrote him a note and I tucked it like it um, uh, tucked it in the pocket of his uh, coat of the suit that he was buried in. So he's buried with it. It's just, it, it's just really hard. Yeah. Um, to wrap that whole thing up it's hard what if you got a what if you got a notebook and just titled it dear like almost like a dear noah and it just became like a compendium well i've been like i said like i do therapy and like i started like going to like Mm -hmm. a support to just really because i the biggest thing that i realized is that i need to make sure that like i put in the work to make to deal with this in a healthy manner well, they talked about writing down in a book, like writing letters to him. And I've done something, and this is unrelated. Like my one, my best friend, he is serving overseas mm-hmm. right now. And so instead of sending him letters and mail each time, I have this journal where I've been writing him letters. And he's aware, like my best friend, like he's aware that it exists. So I will, and he knows like once he, because he, he's actually coming home soon. Um, they have to demobilize. So like mm-hmm. they go from, where they're at overseas to a like a station where they demobilize and then they go home. So that's why some of the service time is padded, like that time window yeah. is padded because to include like the mobilization, the service demobilization. So like with my friend, he's aware that this happens. I'm going to hand him that journal, all of these letters that I've been writing him. And I started doing the same thing with my with my brother. And I'm doing that for like, and for my mom, she's asked me to do this because, you know, like I mm-hmm. went through that whole film school. And so like, I got certified in a few like video editing and audio editing softwares. So I know how to utilize the programs pretty well um, when I'm able to bring myself to do it yeah. and it not like, completely destroy me. I'm going to like make her the, like a very like beautiful like, compilation video of mm-hmm. some stuff of like of him, like pictures of videos. I've been working on this thing where like, you know how um, like Kobe wrote his letter, like dear basketball, mm-hmm. somebody animated that, put his words to animation. So um, some of the memories that uh, people have shared, um, I like I'm doing something similar, like that'll be in the overall product where what they said is animated. And some of the stuff that Noah has said, some of the audio clips I have of him mm-hmm. will be the lyrics will like, it's like a lyric 
you know how like when you have like a music video or a song, some artists put out the old lyric video. Essentially, it's going to be that. Uh, there's going to be clips of that. Uh, so there's just different ways that I've been processing yeah. and handling it. Um, so that is uh, to answer your very it's a very long winded way of saying one of my biggest fears is something happening to an immediate family member mm-hmm. and me not being there for, uh, when they pass yeah. or being able to help them if they're super sick. So now that it's happened once, you're afraid it's going to happen again. Yes. So the whole city of Chicago, the whole state of Illinois, there's going to be a real long time before I can go back there. Um, there are certain, like my brother, he was younger than me. And so he was more into some of like the newer rappers, like Lil Uzi Vert and, um, I'm not even sure he's a real, like, Lil Uzi Vert's, like, a real person, but, I mean, Noah was a fan of him. There are certain songs I can't, like, watch, certain movies, mm-hmm. like, foods, just a lot of stuff that I can't do because it's just, it's a trigger and it's too painful. Mm-hmm. And um, it elicits a very visceral physical response within me, be it, like, I get physically ill, I can't sleep. Mm-hmm. There's just... It just depends. And the thing is, I still don't know how this is going to impact me because grief is uh, revealing itself in uh, new and horrifying ways each day. Unfortunately, that's just it's an un- unfortunate side effect of lo- of losing someone. It's, you know, slowly coming to grips and, you know, re refinding yourself in a way that you can still move forward and you may get to where you can kind of watch those movies and videos at some point you can you'll you'll slowly kind of they won't become triggers for sadness as much as just a way for you to kind of remember the good times and so they may you know they may at some point instead of being a focus point on the bad side of it they may trigger the good side of that memory of this is you know this was our little dance you know the biodome dance or what have you that it just kind of, you know, you, you will focus more on the happy part of the memory of the time that was than, than it not being that way again. You have to slowly, I guess, flip that coin to this, to that side. And there's no timetable for it. If, you know, there's no, there's no grace period. There's no deadline. It's just, it just, it just sort of happens. And, you know, for some people it's, it seems like it's, you know, weeks, other people, it could take years. I mean, there's some people it probably, you know, I don't think it ever truly goes away. At some point it just, you, you start to, to long more for the happy memories than you do. Oh my God, this is going to make me think about the sad. If that makes sense. No, it makes sense. I was talking to a friend, another friend of mine about it and they sent me this like video clip, um, and this is when I mention his name. This is not. Uh, this is not me talking about anything politically. This is just me talking about this figure as a person. But Joe Biden had. There's a clip of him talking about grief because mm-hmm. he lost. Like, and I didn't know until I watched this video clip that he lost. Like, he was married before he, before the woman he was married to now. Like, he lost his wife and daughter in a car accident. Mm-hmm. And he talks about grief and how a, I think it was a governor, because he had just become a like a congressman at the time. So a governor contacted him and said, like, I can't pretend to know what you uh, are going through. Like, I, because the Congress, like the, like the other member of the government, I forgot if he was a governor or another congressperson, um, talked about how uh, he, there's a, like, a calendar and each day on that calendar from, you go from, you write down a number one to 10 and slowly 
like, and then um, after a few months, you take that data and like put it into a graph and you'll start to notice that you still have those low days, those days where it's a 10 Mm -hmm. and it's really bad, but they become further and further and further apart. And so hearing that something as simple as that has been kind of helpful, kind of comforting. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much, I mean, Mm -hmm. that for that fear, that's, that's all yeah. I got to say for that part. Yes, and you just can't predict life. As much as we'd love to be able to know, there's some beauty in the fact that we don't. And there's a be- there's beauty in the fact that I live my life this way because I know it's not, you know, there's not this going on. I li- I I live my life knowing that at some point my luck will run out or something may tragic may happen to me. And so I always try I try to be balanced. I don't try to have a lot of anger or I don't know resentment towards people at some point. And I've I kind of gotten to a center with that around 2017. I'm like, you know, everybody at some point it's not worth it. It's just not worth it to worry about. And how I approach relationships is it's, you know, I I'm just happy by myself and if you're with me, you're all, all you're doing is adding to the happiness I already have, and so I I try to I try to keep that balance of just staying I would say happy and content, but also understanding. Yeah, I think that looking at so like re- trying to identify the humanity in every person instead of just because I said some like listen like on Twitter I have done a lot of my fair share of shit posting and I've said some pretty awful things to people. Um, but I've tried to do that less and less because at the end of the day, they are a person because regardless of how much I disagree with some media figures or stuff, just people like I, it's, I, like, I try to, if it gets, the conversation gets to that point, I try to say like Dick, like let them know that like, I, yeah, I may I disagree with you on this point, but it's not that like, it's not a mark against you personally. Yeah. I still think that you're like you are probably a good person. Sometimes I don't know them, so I can't say that for a fact, but like I respect like their work that they do, especially if it has to relate to anything that is of great interest to myself. And I think bringing humanity to each person, even though dating sucks, makes relationships a little bit harder. And I think that's probably another one of my very big fears is never dying alone, really, honestly, because everybody everybody immediately involved with the loss of my brother has a significant other or is paired up with somebody Mm -hmm. very closely. I live in a city where I do have friends and I know people, but I live by myself. So this has felt very lonely, Mm -hmm. very lonely. So, I mean, that's another, one of my really big fears is dying alone and never kind of being able to form a deep uh, emotional relationship with another human. I think you, I think that that could still be coming on the horizon. It's just sometimes it's just never the right time. And it's, it's one of those things where once you're in a good place, then you, you realize that you, you kind of identify people that are, they're adding to that rather than taking away from that. And so you'll date somebody that maybe, maybe he's not all about you or like, I've got to get your number. Maybe he just is really cool. Like he likes base. He ends up liking baseball, but he's a Red Sox fan and he'll just converse with you. And it, it starts just as a, you know, it's a really nice conversation. It does it. It's no, there's no 
any talk of dating or anything. He just talks about Red Sox. You talk about Astros. You go about your merry way. Then you see each other again. You know, you talk about that some more. Then some more, you know, just about you comes out. And then it just it just goes from there. And it, he, I, I can't describe, like, it's just one of those things where once you're in that place to be okay with that, because sometimes maybe you're not ready for it. Maybe right now you you need to take some time to be alone and just kind of get through and get yourself back to a center. I think the universe has played a very cruel trick on me right now because, I mean, I would say that I'm, at this point, I would say that I'm just friends with this person because, like, I haven't known them Mm -hmm. that long. It's probably been, like, three months, maybe three and a half months. But we have talked, you know, and we've, like, spent, we've spent time together. This person is very into baseball um, is extremely knowledgeable. I would say I put them like I, besides myself, there's a handful of people I could say that I really actually value their opinion. This person has an extreme amount of knowledge about baseball. They are very into their fantasy baseball team. Very, he's a, it's a very, um, he's a very smart person. He's, I mean, cause he and I have struggled, uh, shared some of the stuff that we struggle with. So, I mean, he's a very kind person. Mm-hmm. Um, loves baseball i love baseball so we have a lot in common unfortunately this person is a yankees fan i know that's a that's a very i know that's a very unattractive trait to have but it's not a it's not an absolute deal breaker not a deal breaker, no. i still still uh want to yeah. you know this person from time to time like i said it's extremely like i like i said i'm still getting to know this person mm-hmm. so at this point we're just friends and it's just it's not one way or the other yeah. we both established that we like each yeah. other it's just nice it's yeah and it has been really nice he's been it was so weird because unintentionally it got brought siblings got brought up like the first the very first time we hung out in person and it was maybe maybe 10 days after my brother mm-hmm. passed because we had made plans i think we had like made contact before i left town to take care of everything and we made plans to see each other i think when i got back and like, like I followed through with those plans because I figure like it's there's no harm. Like I have some time off work. Yeah. I would just you know get to know somebody. I need to get something out, and I need to get out of here anyways. Yeah, and so I mean the the very first time we hung out, I was like, okay, I don't want to make you uncomfortable when I tell you this. Like I apologized. Like I said, like I let him know that my brother had just like literally just passed away. And I, um, like, I apologized after I was like, listen, I didn't mean to cross an emotional boundary for you or make you uncomfortable. I felt really bad because that's a heavy thing, mm-hmm. a heavy energy to bring into somebody's like yeah. personal space. I apologize. So like, no, like, and from the whole time, they've been very nice, very kind about the whole thing. And very, um, I think that that's the thing I value about them. Like one of the things I value about getting to know this person is they have been very kind Mm -hmm. and they are, even though sometimes I may not understand their, like understand their actions. Mm -hmm. There's always, there's always a point where we ultimately in the end, like I've like, there've been a few times where I've been like, what? Mm -hmm. But we've always communicated. And um, this person is a little bit older than I am. It's like he's in his mid thirties and I am just newly 30. Uh, new to the 30 year old club uh but so i think that like that's uh, another thing is that as you get older it's like, really refreshing to not have to deal with some of the like the like, what the 20 the 23 year old michelle problems <laughs> the 22 23 i was real stupid and i was making some <laughs> dumb ass decisions and conducting myself i did some questionable things i was 
probably did some unsavory things. Like, like I was a hot GD mess. Mm-hmm. And I just want to go ahead and apologize to everyone that I, you know, hurt like with my actions. It's just yeah. like, it was a lack of maturity and understanding yeah. on my part. That's not excusing the behavior. True. So I do apologize to anybody that was deeply like that was really affected by the way I acted or things that I said or things that I did, mm-hmm. because at this point I am like, I am kind of ashamed of some of the stuff, like of the way I handled myself. Yeah, absolutely. We all are. Welcome to the, welcome to being older. You welcome, welcome to this world. Cause I was going to say that when people say they want to date someone in their twenties, I'm like, why, why? You know, there there are very there are some mature tw- early twenty people in their early twenties, and they're few and far between. But I just, it's just not me. And you just learn to value different. Tra- There's so much better traits that you learn to as you get older. Be okay with versus when you were in your twenties and superficial and and it's that to me is more of what I I you know what I kind of you know when I when you said that when you're like yeah in, you know thirties and how different. I was like, and so when you said as an older person, it's like, yeah, you know, the, you know, when you're in, you finally get to your thirties and your life's going in direction, it's, it's, it's amazing how much different the people you, you gravitate towards. I mean, I'll be honest. Cause we matched on an app. I'll be honest. Like initially it was, I mean, he's a very attractive person. Like yeah. it doesn't and- hurt to be that way either. I want to, I want to go ahead and I just want to like advocate for shorter men. I think shorter men are fucking great. They are fantastic. Um, and women are like, I only like six foot or taller. Girl, please. I'm five one. So somebody who is like five, five or five, six, logistically, it makes things a little bit easier. I don't have to stand on my tiptoes. I don't feel like mm-hmm. a, I don't feel like some Belina versus like a giant, mm-hmm. um, so this person but initially like yeah because on those apps there's always a superficial component to it mm-hmm. so yes he caught my eye because he was aesthetically pleasing and the very first so the very first time he and i hung out the day before uh we hung out he had he fractured his foot so when he walked out of his apartment to greet me i thought he only had i couldn't see the rest of his leg so i thought he only had one and a half legs <laughs> for like the first like two minutes and i was like uh it didn't phase me because you know he and I had talked, and so we oh, shared. Like, didn't phase me. That that reaction you just had to missing half his foot does not say it didn't phase you. Uh, you you probably you it phased you, but you played it off. That <laughs> I mean, it caught me off guard for sure. But it wasn't like something that I was just like, oh, it's not something yeah. that changed how I potentially could view this person. So. <laughs> And that's like something he gives me a hard time about. Uh, it was, uh, but yeah, it's it's been refreshing. It's nothing, like I said, we like both do our own thing. Mm-hmm. He's also super into fitness. Like I am, he takes it super seriously. Takes nutrition really seriously. He's more. Like, I am in. Uh, I don't like. I said, we're still getting to know each other. I know that he really is focused on like like really into bodybuilding. I am into. Uh, like I'm working my way towards a figure competition because in the world of like health and fitness, mm-hmm. you do a lot of like there's Mr. Olympia, blah, blah, blah. But for females, there's uh, when you do like competitions, there are, I think in the standard fitness competition, there are three cate- three general categories for females. And within those categories, there are levels to mm-hmm. it, but it's a uh, figure bikini. And then 
it was bodybuilding, but they've renamed it to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so bikini is exactly as it sounds like how you look in a bikini. Like what mm-hmm. it's the figure competition is what I'm more working towards. It has to do with like, like muscular, like muscle tone, mm-hmm. muscle structure. It's not how your muscle, how many muscles you have, just how your muscles look. Exactly. And you know what? I'm not even ashamed. I know this sounds very vain, but I'm, yeah, I like that I'm ripped. I like that I have like a six pack. That's some shit that I value because I work very hard for I mean, as superficial as like the fitness thing is, there's a lot of hard work and discipline and consistency goes into these physical results. Like there's things, I don't drink alcohol at all. I do it like maybe once or twice a year, one year, like once on my birthday, that's pretty much it. Maybe around New Year's, but zero alcohol. I mean, I'll be honest and I feel comfortable saying this on record because in the state of New York, I am medically certified to have cannabis. Okay. So, um, I, I'll like, I'll smoke, yeah. you know, every now and then, um, not as frequently as I used to in my early twenties, but well, kind of on the regular, especially given the circumstances, uh, I don't eat certain foods. Like, uh, right now I'm more of like a, like I have to up my caloric intake because I am back in the gym. The gym's just reopened in New York. So I am back in the gym. I'm burning more calories. But I try to like, there's things that I just don't do because I know that just Body composition wise, knowing and understanding about like uh, nutrition and fitness on a very, like, very fine level, um, certain foods are going to be your body's going to process those and store those as fat. Mm-hmm. And it may, and it, there's different types of fat. So there's, uh, you know, visceral fat, subcutaneous fat. It's, there's just so many different components of it. Uh, you just have to, in order to get, it's math, you know, in order for A and B to equal C, you have to do certain things. And so I don't, you yeah. know, as for as vain as it sounds, like I don't mind it because I put in, I put in six days a week, two and a half hours, sometimes more fitness. I focus yeah. that on fitness. So then I would say to you, then that's not a superficial or vain thing to be proud of your abs if you're putting in that much work now if you weren't putting in any work and you just had abs then yeah maybe that's superficial but i don't think it i don't think it's superficial to that would be like a comic you know like i don't want to be vain but i just you know release my netflix special you know there's a lot of work that goes into an achievement so i don't feel like it's superficial i feel like that's a achievement maybe it's not a you know monetary or a status but that's a physical achievement. That's a, that's something that takes a enormous amount of discipline, because yeah, because I I read an article by, way back in two thousand two of how to get washboard abs, and it was it it was literally he's like exercise and meal plan. Your meal plan you can only have this many calories at these intervals of time. Like you can have brown rice. You have to have like a cup of brown rice, carrots, and you have to. You have to do aerobic exercise this many hours in a day. You have to do these kind of weight training. Like it was, it was a lifestyle. It was not a, it was not a, oh, just do these exercises and eventually it'll happen. It was, you've got to starve yourself and push your, 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 I guess, aerobics and weights to your absolute maximum while eating the absolute minimum of, <laughs> Food. Uh, very 
Well, I mean, as like time goes on, I mean, because that was, I mean, it's 18 years now, like down the road. It varies from person to person. So when people approach me, because like people approach me about that, it's there's all there's different ways of achieving that. And I think with any what back to what you're saying, like any major accomplishment, there is a lot of hard work to go into it. So like I know that I have a learning disability, so it's really hard for me. Like academics do not come easy. So the fact that I've maintained I've maintained a certain GPA uh, and like I just finished up like the personal training certification through like a college online. And um, because it was through a actual, like an established and accredited institution, you earn a GPA when you go through it. And I was invited to um, that coupled with my past academic history post, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, primary school, meaning like post high school and everything given my other academic history, I got invited to join, like they have those academic fraternities or mm-hmm. sororities or whatever the fuck. It's nothing like uh, your typical Greek life stuff, but it's just like, an, it's solely for academics. It's an honor society. Yeah. Um, I took great pride in that because my GPA is, I think a cumulative, my cumulative GPA is a 3.82. And currently in school, it's a little bit lower because I've had to, I've struggled with the course load given what's been going on. Uh, a series of unfortunate events, mm-hmm. if you will. It's a little bit lower now, but like, but it was, it was a lot of hard work, an extreme amount of hard mm-hmm. work, discipline, consistency, and I think if more people, like people, ask me how I get this, like the result that I have, my answer is it's more complicated than this, but the simple answer is discipline. Mm-hmm. It's discipline, and I will say this as well because. It's amazing how much better you are at ADHD when it's something you're passionate about instead of something you're not and you just have to do. Mm-hmm. Also, now you're gearing your academics to something you're passionate about rather than I have to take this class because it's part of the curriculum. And so when you can do something you're passionate about, it's amazing how much easier the work is because you enjoy finding the little things that you enjoy the fitness, the muscle to apply those techniques. And so, yeah, you're when you find something you enjoy, it makes life, I guess, easier in a way. Uh, even with like the baseball training, because like it's a very hard thing to do. And I'm just like, I didn't play it when I was younger. I'm just not like I'm very new. I'm probably like two years into mm-hmm. learning, like really learning how to play, because in order I want to be able to design extremely efficient programs that benefit the athlete. And in order to do that, it's just from my point of view, I, I want to like, I need to know how exact on a very, like how the mechanics work, like how each mechanic, like what joint is involved, what muscles involved, like what is engaged, how do I need to condition? Like, cause mm-hmm. how like a program that I will, that I'm going to design for a pitcher is different than a program that I'm going to design for just like a typical client. Yeah. Because you have to be careful with how you uh, with how you do that. So with the baseball stuff, it is extremely hard. It's humiliating at first because hiring mm-hmm. this coach. I mean, these the people, the other other people that train with this coach, they're kids. Mm-hmm. They're like fourteen year old kids, really young people. And I'm this like thirty year old, not just learning to play. And the fact that like it's just it is humiliating. And it kind of it's a very humbling experience to have this like fourteen year old just hit bombs mm-hmm. and you try to catch them and just it's, but it's good. I enjoy like I, even though it is 
that there's a bit of turmoil that you go through the end result, the pride that you feel like when you improve your batting stance, you're mm-hmm. able to consistently hit. And then when those hits start going further and further, when they go past the infield, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, the first time I hit that and it went past the infield and somebody actually had to make movement in the outfield to catch it during practice. I was like, all right, I feel like Altuve. Mm-hmm. I feel like the MVP. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. Like it's because hitting a baseball, like as far as the professional sports go, each professional sport comes with its own set of challenges, but I feel like hitting a baseball and perfect, like that's one of the hardest yeah. things because I mean, you're considered extremely successful. If you hit 30% of the time or 33% yeah. of the time, I actually wanted to shout out a baseball charity. So there is a baseball charity called, uh, adopt a minor leaguer because, uh, the conditions and, uh, the financial conditions and like living, like basically the, everything about minor league ball is not very glamorous, especially when it's like the lower classes, like double A, low, but low A ball. So adopt a minor leaguer is a charity where you can sign up. So somebody who is not a player, they sign up to be a sponsor and players can, you know, sign up to be sponsored. And then you are matched with a minor leaguer. And of course, like, like there's rules and regulations around it. Like you do not, like if you are matched with a minor leaguer as a sponsor, you do not, I mean, anonymity is really important, is really important to them. Mm-hmm. So like there's like, there's somebody that I sponsor right now and um, you don't, unless the player, you know, says share my, you can share my name, you share my information. It's complete. Uh, yes. You have like their number, uh, how it works is like you're matched with them. You get their number, they make contact and typically how it works. They tell you to a lot about a hundred to $150 a month to like, to financially provide for them and a lot of that time it's just in like grocery store gift cards that's a big need yeah so that is a fantastic charity i want to shop them out mm-hmm. uh and because i mean minor league ball players they're not sometimes you just gotta help them yeah you got everybody you can use a little help from time to time so it's it's never it's never wrong to help anybody no matter what they're doing Michelle, I appreciate you doing this. I thank you so much for doing this. Before we conclude, I also wanted to give another, just repeat that shout out to the Fan Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow them on Twitter, on Instagram. We also have an Instagram account. Uh, so the Fan Association, uh, there's a lot of exciting things coming up from that organization. So give them a follow. Mm-hmm. Um, also give Stephen Leonardi a follow. He is our founder and leader. So um, fantastic human fantastic baseball fan ryan thank you so much for letting me do this i feel very honored you you honor is all mine i i appreciate you it's good good to see you again and hopefully things you know you'll things will start to cool down and stuff and we can you can travel and do all those other things yes i will um i'll actually be in town uh in texas from the september 10th to the 17th okay well i'll be at hyena's this weekend and next weekend i'll be in dallas this weekend and fort worth oh my gosh that's perfect because my mom lives in dallas fairly close to where hyena is at so i'll pop in and uh, come say hi okay we'll see you then so that was michelle neat i i just can't begin to even wrap my head around when something like this happens I can't, I'm an only child, so I don't have a sibling that I, I share moments with that aren't with my parents. 
So I don't have those moments of playing together or talking or making plans with somebody. So I can't begin to understand what Michelle is feeling when that's no longer there. My dad is also going through something similar right now as my Aunt Marie passed away last night due to complications from COVID-19. I'm kind of in shock because we were just there right before Christmas celebrating the holidays with her and everything was fine. It's just so shocking that that she's gone that in a matter of a month she could go from having conversations and sharing moments together to no longer being alive I don't know what to say to my dad because I just I don't know what I can say to console him and It's just so shocking and sad and to lose people, especially at a young age when there may be more potential that they have left untapped is really, really heartbreaking. And I feel for all of you that have lost a sibling that you were close with and that you spent a lot of quality time together. Just try, it's just love, loss of a woman's just never something you can really describe or come to terms with because you'll always miss them please wear a mask is all i can say it's it's just so sad and scary that you don't know what another person's reaction to this virus will be and it could be the difference i understand there's freedom of speech but the right to live supersedes that and survival is always paramount so please please wear a mask or social distance or social distance take time to make sure you're you're not take a test to make sure before you visit that you're not covid positive because what if you're asymptomatic but the the ones you love the most are not i thank you for listening you can follow Michelle Neat at Michelle Neat One on Twitter. It's at Michelle with two L's, so M I C H E L L E underscore Neat One, and her Instagram is G I'm Neat, G E E underscore I'm underscore N E A T. Also, check out her on Twitter for the as part of the Props Network at Props Network HQ. Also, check out the Props Network as a online betting and sports if you're all if you're a big sports fan there's the sports dude podcast which is also worth a listen as well as the walk on podcast from the props network so please check those out check out michelle if you want to follow me i'm at ryan perio this thursday i'll be headlining in hyenas dallas i'm not as excited now due to the loss of my aunt so i'm trying to kind of process that as well as prepare it's been a really really sad week while i'm not completely broken up i don't know if that's just from just the shock of it all just the suddenness or if i'm just that balanced that i i can feel it but i don't 
let it overcome me. I haven't mentioned it to a lot of people, mainly because I don't want a lot of outpouring for sympathy. I'd rather just remember the positives in her life and the positive impact she's made in mine as far as a hardworking, loving aunt that gave a lot for her family. And as the youngest of the family, it's just hard to believe she's no longer with us. And even harder is there's nothing really we can say goodbye to. We don't, I don't know what a funeral will be, if there will be one, if they'll let us even see her or make preparations. There's just so many questions that I just don't know if I should ask at this point because my dad is just so overcome with grief and I don't want to impact that further with more thoughts on what may be. Just tell your loved ones that you love them because sometimes you don't know when the next time you'll get to speak to them. Thank you for listening. And now some credits and thank yous for the people that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater, who does my graphics and design for my comedy as well as my podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh2o. Get it, Whitewater. Also, a big thank you to Gunnar Olsen for my music. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns. That's G-U-N-B-U-N-S. You can also check out his website at gunnarolson.net. And you can check out his awesome EPs and some music he's got coming out. Real excited for him. If you want to follow me on social media, I am at Ryan Perio on all social media. That's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O. If you want to follow the show, I highly recommend it. Instagram and Twitter is at Some Fear Fans. Facebook group is Some of All Fears. If you want to, if you have questions for the show or feedback, email me at SomeFearFans at Gmail. If you want to be a guest on the show, also email SomeFearFans at gmail.com. We can make that happen. Please keep leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you listen to. I, appreci- I just appreciate seeing that people like what I'm putting out. So if you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a review. I appreciate all of you for listening. And next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening to The Sum of All Fears.